podcast one production. Welcome to Rebuilding Australia, our homes and businesses. I'm Ross Greenwood, business and finance editor. Every Australian has been touched by the bushfires. There has been smoke in our capital cities right up the east coast of Australia. People certainly have seen the images of heroism, but have also of tragic loss inside many of our regional communities. But now is the time for rebuilding. And this podcast series is designed to try and help anybody get back on their feet, to understand there is a way forward. And so it's important that the stories that you hear come directly from people who have been affected and those who have worked with those victims inside many of our regional communities. I've been out there and seen it myself, and I know certainly every story of loss is an individual story. And so the point about it is that people have got to find individual solutions to their problems and their difficulties. But what we want to do is to provide you with practical steps to look after your immediate well-being and finances as part of that journey of recovery. And it's stories like this that really bring to life the reality of what people are trying to recover from in the aftermath of the fire or indeed from any natural catastrophe. My name is Lisa Tague from Bim Bimbi and I lost my house the morning of New Year's Eve. The first question that went through my mind when I saw the house was whether or not I had actually insured the house adequately and I guess how long this process would take and you know where do I even start. I probably took two days just to comprehend what had happened. I then pulled out my insurance documents, which I had taken with me uh, when I left the house, um, and I made a call through to my insurer and basically just let them know my house had burnt down in the fires and they talked me through the process of what I needed to do and you know whether I needed immediate assistance. So we were fortunate that our insurer was able to um, assess our property fairly quickly. It probably still took two weeks. Um, We were still in an active fire zone, so obviously it had to be safe for that assessor to come to our property. Um, But once they came to our property, it was very clear that it was a total write-off, and then we were able to negotiate our payout. Even eight weeks later, it's still hard to comprehend some days, but I guess there's a process to follow and there's a process in place. And the best way to make your way through that is just to keep filling in the forms, keep talking to people and keep the ball rolling because if you stop and think about it too long, that's that's when it becomes a bit overwhelming. Once you've safeguarded the basics in your life, in other words, you've got a roof over your head, you've got some clothing, you've got some food, then you've got to start to rebuild other parts of your life. And that can be pretty hard. One of the most significant things in any disaster that you've got to cope with is your legal rights to, say, an insurance policy, to money that might be available, the way you deal with your bank, or indeed, if you come into dispute with any of those, is going to be pretty stressful on top of what has already been a a difficult situation. Losing your house, losing assets, farm, machinery, equipment, whatever it might be. But one of the most important things is trying to know where to go to try and start rebuilding your life from a financial point of view. You know, what do you do when you negotiate with the bank? How do you talk to the insurance company? Is there aid available to you? Now, one thing that many people do not understand is that there are financial counsellors in our community that can help people out. So it's important to recognise that you do have somewhere to go 
if you really do need a hand from a financial point of view, even if it's just simply having somebody to talk to. Now, Alex Kelly is the Director of Casework at the Financial Rights Legal Centre. They can certainly help you understand what your legal obligations and rights are in these types of situations. Uh, Alex, many thanks for your time. I mean, these bushfires that clearly have been such a, a devastating and significant thing on so many Australians' lives, they're not the first disaster we've seen. They're not the first disaster that your organisation, your people have been a part of. Yeah, so the Financial Rights Legal Centre, we've been around for about 30 years. We used to be called the Consumer Credit Legal Centre and we're a specialist legal centre in New South Wales dealing with financial services. Uh, and then about in 2007, we started the Insurance Law Service, a national service to assist people with disputes about insurance companies because we found a lot of people were in financial distress because of something that may be related to insurance. Um, and we've gone through a number of different disasters, floods, cyclones, bushfires, uh, droughts. Um, and there's a lot that you can do in um, seeking advice around insurance, financial services, telecommunications, and just generally what your rights are. And, and from the disasters Australia has had in the past, I'm thinking about Cyclone Yasi, I'm thinking about the, the Queensland floods. In many of these situations, it was really disputes with insurance companies that made people for the very first time often look at their policies, look at their insurance policies and, and to understand and recognise what they were and what they were not covered for. That's right. Insurance is a really kind of complicated product. Everyone just assumes it will uh, meet their claims or all policies are the same and that's not quite accurate. Policies can be quite lengthy, circumstances can be quite unique, and it can be quite a minefield to go through a claims process. It can be very stressful in working out exactly what you may be covered for and what, what exclusions might apply, and also other complicated issues around when you take out insurance and whether or not you've met your duty of disclosure or you've, you've accurately told the insurance company about your circumstances. And that can lead at claims time to a lot of uh, issues, so they may decline your claim because it's a particular exclusion, or you might get a lot less. So in floods, we saw definitions were quite narrow. I can remember this because it caused a massive fight at the time because most people would recognise that they will be covered for stormwater damage or storm damage. But of course, many policies had specific exclusions for flood, which under those circumstances, the big question about whether this was stormwater or whether this was floodwater, and indeed whether flood had ever been seen there before, well, that was really a, a, a long legal argument that had to be undertaken with the insurance companies. That's right. We took about 50 files coming out of that 2011 flood. A lot of them involved what was the colour of the water, what time did water start to enter into the property? Where did it enter from? What direction? Did it come up through the drain? Did it come through the front door? Um, had you seen a flood before? And then when did you get your policy? How did they send it to you? Did they send it to you electronically? Did they send it to you in the post? Lots of different issues that arose uh, and that were very important to work out whether or not a person was covered or not. Okay, so then fast forward on to fire, which seems to me to be a far more clear-cut thing. Either something has burnt or something hasn't. But the level of insurance often is something that is in significant dispute, whether something is underinsured or insured appropriately ends up being a place where there are many conflicts between insurance companies and indeed those people with the policies. That's right. Getting to that sweet spot of being perfectly insured is 
it's so hard uh, for any person to kind of really work out how a policy might meet in their particular circumstances. In a non-disaster scenarios, you might set your sum insured and be perfectly okay. If your house burns down in an electrical fault, your sum insured might be adequate. But when a disaster hits and um, the whole street is burnt down and there's a pressure on suppliers, then you may be significantly underinsured. Or if you're hit by a bushfire in a, in a zone where they've changed the building regulations, the bushfire attack level might increase, uh, requiring you to rebuild your house in a way that you, you hadn't expected and you hadn't priced for. And of course, you might not be aware um, of the fact that those um, council requirements have changed. They might certainly have sent you a notice to tell you, but whether you've taken terribly much notice of it and whether you understand the implication of what they're sending you at the time, that could also be pretty important. That's right. And it, it can actually happen after the event. So the council actually changes it after the fire. And so you had no no real chance to work out what your correct sum insured is. And so we find a lot of people in non-disaster times contacting us to go, oh, I think I'm overinsured and I'm paying too much for my insurance. Uh, and it's hard to have that conversation to say, well, you might be overinsured for X scenario, but you might be perfectly insured if the whole suburb goes down. So at what point should I come to a consumer legal centre to try to see whether I have a dispute and indeed whether that dispute is worth you taking on. And if that were the case, who would fund it? So in the early stages of disasters, we do a lot of triaging of calls. A lot of people contacting us just wanting to know, am I getting what I'm entitled to? Is this right? Is this what should be happening in uh, how the insurance is responding? And so a lot of our early stages are just to answer those questions and let people know their rights and, and help them know how to manoeuvre through these early stages. And then the next few months, we expect to see more and more disputes come out. So once the shock has worn off and you start to think, well, maybe my insurance company shouldn't have said no to that particular item, or maybe... I now remember maybe I was underinsured not because I set the amount, but because the insurance company insisted that was the right amount. Uh, So we expect in the coming few months, we're going to see far and far more examples of of consumers starting to, to perhaps identify that maybe there was a problem. And so they can contact us. We can talk through and see whether or not it's a legal dispute uh, and whether or not it's something that can be challenged. And if it can be challenged, who pays? So as a community legal centre, we're a free organisation. So our services are entirely free to the consumer who uses them. Um, We generally use the free routes of dispute resolution. So taking it through the internal dispute resolution of the insurer themselves and then on to the Australian Financial Complaints Authority. The Australian Financial Complaints Authority is free. For the consumer, the the cost of that is borne by the insurer themselves as to whether or not and how long that dispute goes through. And after the Royal Commission, uh, the Financial Complaints Authority has a much broader remit than it did before. So small businesses can now lodge claims. Others can also lodge claims that previously under the uh, old financial ombudsman system were not available. That's right. It's, It's really a great move forward for consumer rights. Um, And in disasters beforehand, we'd had a number where really your only option is to go to court because the exclusion meant that you're outside the ombudsman's jurisdiction, which was quite low. It was only 500,000. But now with the increase in the jurisdiction, most consumers will be able to access that and as well as small businesses. Okay. So post the Royal Commission, the Banking Royal Commission, no, clearly quite a lot has changed. So while 
we've spoken about, you know, situations with insurance companies, which are pretty clear cut. I mean, that's where you're in dispute because you don't agree, or as you've pointed out, maybe you've been told something by an insurance company that then comes back to bite you. Are there other areas of financial services that may be impacted by disasters and or the more recent bushfires? That's right. So, a lot of other issues will come out uh, are financial related. So, we're looking at your your banking, uh, whether or not you're able to work during this time. And so, will, will you be able to meet your financial obligations to repay your home loan, your mortgages, your credit cards, um, your, your personal loans? Uh, so, we also, through our National Debt Helpline number, speak to a, a number of people impacted financially uh, who don't have that same uh, income that they had before, um, or just an extraordinarily higher expenses that they've got. Uh, and so dealing with your bank, so getting in contact with them, getting access to hardship variation. And what's that hotline number? 1-800-007-007. Okay, 1-800-007-007, the National Debt Helpline. And a person should ring that hotline if they are in what circumstances? Really, if you're in struggling with your income and being able to manage your debts is ultimately where we can give you some triaging advice about how you can um, help yourself and self-advocate. We can also refer you to on-the-ground financial counsellors who you can see face-to-face to guide you through uh, managing what income you do have and dealing with the creditors. Okay, because that's one of the more important parts of this is if a person gets to a point where they have to start to deal with creditors, they can sometimes feel significantly out of their depth. Um, And that's a a fundamental problem. Now, to have somebody as a halfway house, be it an organisation such as yours or a financial counsellor, can sometimes help, especially if a person has to go down a legal front of either having some scheme of arrangement to manage their debts or indeed ultimately has to place themselves into bankruptcy. Now, these are obviously, you know, worst case scenarios, but their options, especially when people have lost a lot and been uninsured, are going to face in bushfires. Yeah, what we'll see is a a great um, spectrum of people who are going to be able to negotiate in just a short-term hardship variation or a short-term uh, ability where the financial council might even be able to seek significant reductions of the debt, all the way to if it, if it really is insurmountable, whether or not you need to apply for a more formal response like bankruptcy. Um, so financial counsellors should be able to help you with making some of these big decisions. So we're, we're going to see people with large insurance claims uh, who might be cash settled and they might decide to pay debt instead of rebuilding. And some of these decisions are going to be quite tricky and you're going to be quite traumatised in making them. And so talking through with a financial counsellor or some independent uh, third party might just help you work out whether or not your, mo- your money is best spent um, paying debt or helping you rebuild. As a part of this series, we have touched on the whole issue of mental health uh, and also then the stress that comes as a result of the situation that can build up over months after a disaster has occurred. But even in the worst case scenario, looking at a scheme of arrangement or looking at the prospect of bankruptcy might not necessarily be the end of the story for that person. In fact, it might be the cleansing for that person to be able to then move on to the next step. That's where financial councils, that's where your organisation almost comes in with the type of advice that helps a person to start to make those first steps to rebuilding their lives. Yeah, that's right. So 
there's a lot of options out there and they can some of them can seem very attractive on first blush or seem very unattractive at first blush. Um, and so speaking to someone who can really tell you the ins and outs and how it actually works um, and what the actual consequences might be for making those decisions uh, can be very helpful and cathartic for a person to know that there are people out there who are sort of experts in this field. Okay, just one other uh, aspect. As you start to negotiate... Um, and as, of course, you've got, you know, all sorts of different inputs from different organisations coming in, do you have to be a little careful yourself that you don't make legal mistakes when you're seeking to settle or when you're seeking to, you know, move your life on? Is that a, a problem for some people? Uh, look, I think some people um, will admit to things that they might not necessarily need to. Give me an example. So uh, so an example might be that a debt collector pops up and says, oh, you had this credit card that you failed to pay five and a half years ago. And a person might rush and go, oh, sorry, you know, write to them and say, look, okay, I admit that's my debt and I'll pay it. Um, And that can have consequences for them by admitting that debt when maybe there were reasons why. Um, or that the debt might not be owed, or that there was something about how the bank originally handled that loan, like whether or not they ought to have given it to you. Um, So that can happen quite a lot, Uh, particularly when people are under stress. They might also look to fast loans online. They might be looking to, um, you know, I I don't have any income right now, so this loan online I could get relatively quickly. And, And let's be honest, in many of these areas that are adversely affected by bushfires or other disasters, you tend to find that these fast money lenders pop up all over the place, almost like weeds. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, yes, it's instant money, but the longer-term consequences without actually taking a deliberate approach to what you're doing can, can really be significantly detrimental to actually getting you back on your feet. Yeah, that's right. Some of these fast loans uh, have very high interest rates, um, so the maximum can be, for some, 48%, but for others, 4% per month, which... You know, it seems low, but if you actually annualise that, depending on how how many months you take it out for, it can be up to 250%. So people need to be really, really careful about looking at fast solutions to to paying it and looking externally. So there are a lot of government agencies out there willing to help at this stage. And far better, Alex, rather than going down that front before you actually hit that and get desperate for that money, would be to go back to the financial counsellor or to your organisation, the National Debt Helpline, to basically the hotline to be able to um, really understand whether you need to go down that route or whether there's other options for you as well. Yeah, that's right. So a lot of what we do is um, try and talk people through maybe not making rash decisions like getting fast online loans or uh, consolidating their debt too quickly without first thinking about, well, these banks all have obligations. So lenders have obligations for hardship variations. A lot of them are doing quite a lot to to assist, particularly bushfire victims, about reducing interest rates or extending time to pay. Uh, and so you might be much better off to do that rather than go out and get a higher, more expensive credit. Okay. So once they've been through this whole process, I mean, You'd have examples from previous disasters where people have been able to rebuild their lives. But when you look back through those previous disasters, where are the places where people get themselves most into trouble potentially? So I recently spoke to a person who um, lost her home in a bushfire and she'd moved into her rental property um, thinking that was, you know, that's somewhere to live. 
um, but she couldn't afford both mortgages on the rental property as well as her home, uh, which meant she was going backwards and going backwards quite quickly. So we were able to point out to her that she had temporary accommodation benefits under her insurance policy and so that she didn't need to do that. She could live somewhere else or seek those temporary accommodation benefits in order to help pay for one of these mortgages. You see, these are things that people maybe just are not aware of, you know, Mm. knowing that inside your insurance policy might be some money or some right for you to go and get temporary accommodation. I mean, this is all a part and parcel of what people have got to learn more than anything else, isn't it? Yeah, it's partly that and it's also the trauma of everything. Everyone's feeling very traumatised and so they don't necessarily think rationally or they don't necessarily think um, about accessing every benefit that they might have under their insurance or every benefit that might be offered by government or or free agencies. Uh, And so part of our job is just to try and help point those things out um, and help them make those um, make those decisions at these difficult times. And also, I think what you're saying is just be careful because the number of dodgy contractors and builders that suddenly pop up in areas, um, you know, that really are trying to make money for themselves. Again, it's just this issue of you've got to take it more slowly, even though you want to rebuild it tomorrow. Yep. The fact is you've just got to be so careful because there's others out there potentially prepared to take advantage of people who are already disadvantaged. That's right. There are um, a group that some people call uh, storm chasers, others call insurance claims managers who actually will door knock through areas uh, once a, a disaster's hit. So we saw it through the hailstorms in northern New South Wales in North Sydney a few months ago, and we saw in the floods up in Queensland. Um, and they would take on your matter. Um, they'll help you, they say, um, but at what cost? And, and that cost can be that they will seek to cash settle you out on your insurance claim and they'll take a percentage. And that sort of is a misaligned incentive, which is that they will be seeking the highest possible cash settlement for you so that they can get the highest possible cut. Um, but that can cause delays because if you're not at, if your insurance company doesn't agree with that assessment, um, it can really extend out the time for your insurance claim to be heard. And the truth is that you should be able to do it yourself. You don't need these so-called claims managers to try and get you through this process. That's exactly right. Um, You don't need a lawyer to make an insurance claim. Uh, The process should be such that the insurer will help you in order to do it. So we're there to help you um, to navigate it and to provide some free resources um, to empower you to do so. Um, But you definitely don't need to pay someone to do it because there can be sort of unintended consequences. You might not end up with enough to rebuild. You may delay out your claim quite significantly. The insurer might get quite aggressive in dealing with your claim. Um, So avoiding those sorts of entities and and really looking at what free options there are available to help you if you are struggling. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you. Now, if you do need any advice from the Financial Rights Legal Centre, either for insurance or indeed for credit or debt, the number 1300 663 464. That's 1300 663 464. We called this podcast series Rebuilding Australia for a very good reason. We know that people and businesses need to rebuild themselves if they're to generate the employment, to generate the opportunities for the future. The one thing we've also tried to do is to give you practical information, phone numbers to call, all that type of thing, because we recognise this will not be the last natural disaster that Australia experiences. And so we're giving, if you like, something of a blueprint for people to try and rebuild lives and jobs and businesses as they go through. 
as we've said right throughout this series. For more information on the ways you can help people who have been affected by the bushfires, we urge you to go to redcross.org.au. Just one note, and that is that I've been paid to do this series by Podcast One Australia. But all payments from Podcast One Australia to me have been donated to the charities that you have heard across this series. Rebuilding Australia, Our Homes and Businesses was presented by me, Ross Greenwood, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producers Liv Proud and Tina Matilov. Sound production by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer Jennifer Goggin.